This is Daniel Self, lead pastor of the Orchard Church, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Afterwards, if you would like and subscribe, or if you want more information on The Orchard or to support this ministry, find us at theorchardlife.com. Now know that we are praying for you today, that God would speak to you, and you would have a breakthrough. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad you're here. Christmas is upon us. Next weekend is our big Christmas Eve, Eve and Christmas Eve services. I hope your shopping is done. How many of you have not yet begun to shop yet? You're with me. And if you're like my wife, you did it all three months ago and it's all done and there's no stress. The two ways people live. Hey, I'm so glad you're with us today. Um, if you are new, you're coming on a week that's pretty great. We have been stepping into our generosity project. In the last two weeks, we handed out $50,000 uh, to all of you so that you could go forth and bless people with grocery store gift cards and say, hey, God loves you. This is what The Orchard is doing. We'd love to have you join us. And the stories have been coming in and they are awesome. If you have stepped into this and stepped out in faith, no matter how it went, good, bad, or ugly, would you send me the story? I'd love to hear and see how it went. But some of you have been sending me these great stories about stepping out and God working in amazing ways. And we were, as a family, we were interacting with this and my son goes, Daddy, I think I know who God wants me to to give my card to, but um, I don't think they need it. And it led to this great discussion of how some of the people I've given my cards to have been people who have no need for a $50 grocery gift card. And what I tell them, I say this, is that, listen, you probably know some people in your life who could use this for Christmas. The Orchard wants to give this to you so you can pass it on and be a blessing. And then we have other people getting in on the blessing and being a part of it. And so as the emails roll in, we'll give you some more of those stories as they, as they continue to come. But know that we're just so excited. And some of you have really stepped out and seen God meet you there in grocery store aisles and in parking lots and offices and all different places as you have, you have stepped in faith and said, hey, here's a gift that God's asked me to give you. So continue to do that. And uh, we're, we're gonna continue to be the church that loves loves God and loves people, but also the church that actually puts it into action and shows our community, shows our region. And for those of you joining us online, I know we have mailed cards to many of you and you are showing it there in your region as well. So it's just cool to see all that God is doing through generosity. And today we're going to be looking as we're in the Christmas season at some people from the Christmas story, the Magi, the wise men, we've heard about them, we've known about them, but let's see what the Bible says about it. There's one section, I'm going to read the whole thing here in Matthew 2, and then we'll discuss it. It says in Matthew 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and said, where is the one who's been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet Micah has written 500 years before Jesus. Here's what Micah said. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel speaking 500 years before Jesus about one who would come, be born in Bethlehem and be a shepherd. And what is it Jesus declared himself at one point? I am the good shepherd. And so then Herod called the Magi, these, these uh, people from the east secretly, and he found out the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them on their journey to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me. 
for I too wish to go and worship this Jesus. Well, not Jesus. They didn't know his name yet. And to worship this king. After they heard um, the king Herod say this, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them and stopped over a place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, can you imagine that? This, this house in this humble little place, they come to this house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down there and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream by God not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country another route. And that is all we know about these wise men. They have this celestial light that leads them to a house that leads them to a person. Other than these verses, everything else we know about them or think we know comes from legend. Some of them even in the 6th and 8th century, we don't even actually know how many there were. We, we think there's three because there's three gifts mentioned, but, but you know there's always that Christmas party where somebody never brings the present, right? So it could have been four wise men and that one guy who just ran out of time. I forgot to get something, you know? Just put my name on yours, you know, that kind of thing. But for the conversation today, we'll go with three. We know they bring gifts and of course, one of them brought gold, much to the chagrin of the other two, because you know he went over their spending limit. They all agreed on, like we said it wouldn't be too much, said the guy holding the myrrh. Come on. And one guy brought, one guy brought gold, and yeah, the other two, the patron saints of essential oils, as they uh, traveled to see Jesus and get Mary on their pyramid scheme. Um, the, the, the Magi, uh, for some of you, that, you'll get that later, the Magi, they're called magas in the Greek word, and, and what this tells us is they're from Persia. They're from Babylonians. They're Babylonians. And they're, they're likely soothsayers, sorcerers. They're astrologers. These are, uh, these are pagan spiritual priests. They're well-educated. They're well-resourced. They're, they're wealthy. They're trained in spiritual pagan arts of Persia and the practices there. And in fact, they probably likely led people in worship in their home country. And it probably wasn't worship of Yahweh. Highly respected, highly wealthy, highly educated. And, and here they are, these elite spiritual patriarchs who've traveled from Persia to be a part of our nativity. Can you believe it? And I love this. I saw this, com this, this, this uh, meme that showed the, the three wise men and they're giving this to Jesus. And he goes, just to be clear, this is for your birthday and Christmas. Like just... You, so for those of you with Christmas birthdays, you understand the pain of Jesus you know, having to get both at once, right? Matthew 2, 2 says that they go, where is this one who's been born king of the Jews? That's what they ask their quest. They've traveled a great distance on a mission to find somebody who is the king of the Jews. And Luke gives us some tidbits that they don't know Jesus' name and, and they knew something about what he might be and might, what, what could have happened, what's happening. They know something that the people of Israel and Rome didn't seem to know as they travel and say, we're looking for this king of the Jews. He's been born where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Now, in researching kingdoms of this time, it became very clear that no one's really born a king in this culture. You take the throne through violence, through political means, or if you're a sitting king and you have many wives and many children, at some point you would appoint a successor. Kings either take it through force and violence, or they're selected and they're crowned. No one is born a king. Born a prince? Yes. Born to be a king? 
Yes, but no one's born a king. But this ruler that they seek here in Matthew is different. He's already a king. In fact, this Jesus, he has a throne in heaven. He already has a crown. He has no need of an earthly throne. He, he left one. He has one. He doesn't need someone to crown him on earth. He has a crown of much greater worth. He's born king. In her arms, Mary holds a divine monarch wrapped in a baby. Matthew 2, 2 again says, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. They have a mission. We're coming to find him and we're coming to worship him. And and here's where it gets a little bit sticky in the story. Remember I told you, put yourself in these familiar old tales. Put them in the story and see what actually the drama is unfolding. They have traveled for a long time and they get there and they say, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And, And they announce this to who? The current sitting, reigning, King of the Jews. Now, how do you think this lands with Herod? Herod's not known for his grace. He's conquered. He's connived. He's, in history, described as a madman, as a murderer. he, he, He killed relatives, close family members, and powerful people. There was nothing and no one he would get let get in the way of attaining and preserving his kingdom. He would do whatever it takes So you can imagine his emotions when somebody shows up, these people of great worth and great education who claim there's celestial spiritual things going on, who say there's a king of the Jews, and he probably wants to know, so tell tell me more about this. When King Herod heard, he was deeply disturbed, it says. He's troubled. These foreign dignitaries show up with some divine sign that there is a throne that somebody was born to sit on. Now, that throne... Herod is killed to sit on, and he will kill to keep sitting on it. They show up and tell him that somebody has the title that he currently holds. It says all of Jerusalem is disturbed, and here's why. If you read the Bible, you know, we've been through Genesis. We're going through Exodus as a church, and if you see all, any of the prophets, when you read through this, every festival, every holy day, every prophet, they're all talking about something, referring to something. They all point to something or to someone, they're pointing to a a person, a Messiah who would rise up and in their thought would rise up in military might and lead them as a nation to to freedom and conquer the enemy. And so they're all wondering, could could, could this be it? Could this be the one? This is the question on all the Hebrews' minds and lips and their hearts as they hope that their Messiah would come. Of course, everyone's disturbed. This announcement has sent electricity through the culture. These dignitaries show up and declare that someone, possibly the Messiah, has been born. This news would have spread like wildfire. And Herod wants to, he wants to know what to make of all this. He wants to know more about it. We have these foreign guys from Persia, but, but, but I need to know from the experts. And so what does he do? He calls together the Pharisees. The religious elite, the the people who have the Old Testament memorized. And it says, Herod called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, the Old Testament, the Tanakh. And he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Like these guys have said that he's born. What do your prophecies say? Now, these Bible experts, they have the Bible memorized, of course. and, And so they begin to tell him where the Messiah is to be born. They know Micah 5. It was written 500 years before 
they met with Herod here, but they say in Bethlehem, this is what the prophet Micah wrote about this. You, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, by no means, at least among the rulers of Judah, out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So we have this king, we have these prophecies, we have these foreign dignitaries, these wise men, and now we have Herod's response in verse seven. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and find out the exact time the star appeared. He sent them on to Bethlehem. Go and search carefully, and as soon as you find him, report back to me so that I, I can worship him. He encouraged them to go on their mission. They obviously, they made it this far based on a, a star, a sign that's been given them. Something is illuminating their journey to find this king. They have insight he doesn't have, an insight that seems that even the chief priests don't have, so he encourages them to go, and when they find this baby, hey, come tell me. I want to worship this baby too. Now we, you may not know, but Herod, he is conniving. He doesn't want to worship this baby. He wants to protect his throne. He wants to preserve his kingdom. He wants to find and pursue this baby, this Jesus, but it's for his own self-interests that he wants to find Jesus. He's looking for Jesus to further his own kingdom. Now, now Herod's evil. He's a murderer. He's a madman, all these things. And so none of you are like him in that, in that way. But there are some similarities between us and our spiritual pursuit of Jesus and Herod, or at least there can be some similarities if we're not careful. You see, because many of us are looking for Jesus out of our own self-interest. We're looking for Jesus to meet our ends, which is what Herod was doing. You see, oftentimes we have our own kingdom like he did. Now, his kingdom is much different than our kingdom that you and I have. Our kingdom is not as large, but we each have our family. We have our business and our money, our savings, our income. We have our lifestyle, our hopes, our dreams, our children, our hopes for our children, our desires, our needs. We have our own personal kingdom that we have been preserving and building as best we can. And our response to Jesus is often hoping, asking, working, pleading that he would come and bless our kingdom, that he would come and build our kingdom for us in addition to our life. And for many well-meaning Christians, and I've, I've been here, we seek Jesus, we pursue Jesus to get something out of him. You see, I'm looking for a Jesus to protect my kids. I'm looking for a Jesus to protect my family. I'm looking for a Jesus that can protect and further my career, or my finances. I'm looking for a Jesus that will that will heal me. I'm looking for a Jesus that can do these things. In fact, I'm doing religious activity on my part so that Jesus will uphold his part. And Jesus, if you could just help me in these areas of my life, I'm gonna, I'll keep engaging. But what happens when we have a life where we say, Jesus, I'm gonna do my part and you come through on your part, protect my kids, protect me, and then circumstances happen. Our faith gets rocked. In fact, just last night around the, around the dinner table, I was, we were talking as a family, and my kids had some big questions about some of this, and, and um, they were asking, um, is it okay if, you, if you're mad at God? Is it okay if, you, if God doesn't do things you want? What do you th- how, do you, how do we do that? And I, I, I told my kids, and their eyes got big, and their jaws hit the table. When I said, I've been so mad at God, I said curse words to him. And you should have seen these little pastor's kids to God. I was like, <laughs> I go, and I just got to tell him, 
Our God is so big. He is so big and so loving that he can take it. The same way you kids will yell at me. <laughs> I have yelled at my heavenly father. And, and honestly, just to tell you about, if you're new to the orchard, one thing about us is we are very vulnerable and we're real. We have real life problems and real life stuff. And as a pastor, I'm gonna be real with you. And so if knowing your pastor has been very angry at God through breaking circumstances that he would curse at God is too much, I understand, but that's who we are. That's where I've been. And so I get, I understand when, when we have a bargain with God, when I'm seeking God to be an addition to my life, to protect my life, to solve these issues, and he doesn't, then where are you? And what's this all about? And I don't know if I can trust you because you didn't come through, not in the way you said you would, but in the way I said you would. So some of us, we have to admit that we are interested in seeking and pursuing Jesus to preserve our own kingdom, to forward our own kingdom, much like Herod. Herod was seeking Jesus to do whatever was needed to protect and further his kingdom. And I, I have to ask, are we doing religious activity as our end of the bargain or as a trade that God would uphold his end? Am I pursuing Jesus in my life, attending or doing whatever I need to do in hopes that he blesses and protects? Where am I doing religious things? Because I want Jesus to come through for me. These are difficult questions, but these are honest real life questions that I had to ask myself. I have to continue to look at my life and, and be honest. Like, like God, am I, do I have a transactional relationship? I do my part, you do your part. How am I doing with this? And so today ask, how are you doing with pursuing Jesus? The second response we see in this story, this familiar story, is from the priests, the Pharisees, these, these, these scholars of the law who knew it that Herod called in and said, tell me what your, your Bible says. And what did they do? Like any good believer, they quoted scripture. But how did that translate into their life? They had a, Herod had a question and they gave him a verse. Here, here's exactly what it means. But upon hearing the news that a sign was in heaven, that a king was born that could be the Messiah, what did they do? Did they flock to Bethlehem? Have you ever seen a movie or The Chosen, which of course is the authority on the Bible. Have you seen, I love The Chosen. Have you seen any kind of song or any kind of movie or any nativity where there's hundreds of Pharisees also bowing down? No, they didn't make the journey. They didn't do it. They quoted the Bible. They knew the location. They heard it might've happened. And, and did they go? No, no. They didn't bother to make the journey. You see, they knew the religious facts. They knew the religious facts, but it didn't change how they functioned. They were content with their religious knowledge, but the knowledge they had didn't lead to action. They had the know-how, but they did not have the want to. Unfortunately, their head knowledge in G about, about the Bible and about God was met with something that is just a disease in Christianity. Indifference, apathy. Again, we have to pause here and ask ourselves some questions about this. We have just enough knowledge. You and I, most likely, some knowledge of Jesus and God. And if you're new here and you don't, that's okay. But if you have knowledge about God and about Jesus, to know like how to pursue him, how to engage with him in prayer in the Bible, 
that knowledge, does it affect or does it translate into action in our daily life and lifestyle? I often have people say, I just, I, I love learning new stuff about the Bible. And I love learning new stuff too. And that's one thing we hope to do here on Sundays is to learn something new. But sometimes I have to pause and look at my life and say, where's my knowledge and where's my level of obedience? Because most often our level of knowledge is higher than our level of obedience. What if instead of learning something new, what if we just simply obeyed what we already know? You see, there are ways that God has asked us to live and give and love, pursue him. We have the knowledge. It's not knowledge we need more of sometimes. It's obedience on the knowledge he's already given us. So we may know some verses. We may know some parables and some stories. We attend church. But on the whole, you have to ask our question, are we disinterested in truly putting forth devotion, putting forth devotion in action in pursuing Jesus and seeking Jesus daily in our own lives. The Pharisees in the Christmas story, they had the knowledge, but it never translated to action. And so where is it we have knowledge that still does not translate to action? Where do we know? Ah, love God and love people, all people, no asterisks. And yet we go out and, and everyone has an asterisk by them. Where is it our knowledge of how God wants to live and love doesn't translate into action in our life? It's an important question to ask. Where is the evidence of those things? The Pharisees, they had this knowledge, but we know, we see, they did not inconvenience themselves to make changes. And how often do we know how much compassion God has asked us to have? Love, generosity, but we simply don't want to be inconvenienced in our life. I want God to be an addition. And when it's convenient for me, I will engage in it. But a lot of the stuff that God wants from me, it's gonna totally get in the way of what I'm already doing. It's gonna be an inconvenience to me. We know Jesus called us to pursue and seek him on our own outside of Sunday mornings, outside of our community group. But how often do we not inconvenience ourselves? to pursue and seek this same son of God in our own life through prayer or in the Bible. So for many of us, let's just be clear, it's not more knowledge we need. It is obedience, devotion on the knowledge we have. For some of us, we have all the information we need. It's inspiration we need to begin to move in. We have been enlightened by salvation, but how many of us have not taken that light out into our workplace, into our homes, into uh, our recreation. We have been enlightened so that we can go illuminate Jesus. The third response, we have Herod's response. We have the Pharisee, the religious people's response. And the third response is these magi. It says that they came to Jesus out of like this curiosity and they put it into action. They want to seek. They want to find. They're from the east. They've traveled a long way. And one thing you have to kind of, in the story, put your mind and heart around is that it's not just, oh, we three kings have traveled so far. It was so far. I mean, this was a week, maybe month-long journey. And guess what? They had to interrupt their lives. They had to stop their jobs. They had to leave their families. And there's no train or, or plane. There's none of that. They are loading up camels, bringing servants, sleeping in tents in the sand, like, this is not convenient to them, but they are leaving all these things on this long journey to go pursue and seek 
this Messiah, this caravan. And so they have a long journey. And one thing we recognize is this journey, this pursuit, it cost them personally. It cost them. The Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were disinterested, but these magi seemed determined. I mean, at any point, that fourth wise man's like, you guys, why are we doing this? It's a star. Let's follow another one home. You know, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of the caravan. I'm tired of this. But they kept going. They were determined on this purpose that God had revealed to them. And it was God that revealed this to them. This was a celestial sign from God. The Magi are a complete anomaly in the Christian story. And so what do we learn from them? We learn, one thing we learn is that God loves all people, all nations, of all types. See, at this point when this story happened, God had one covenant with his people, Israel. And when Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again, a new covenant opened that was for all people. But before that even happened, God sends a star and some revelation to some people from a far off Persian land and calls them forward. God sent that to them. God called them in. They, they see this star. It was a gift from God and they pursue it. And I want you to know something. God still does this. God still is calling people who are far from him and he uses circumstances and he uses signs and he uses wonders. He uses things that illuminate. Now, he might still use a star. I don't wanna put God in a box, but do you know what he often uses to illuminate Jesus? Do you know what he often uses to illuminate people to come find Jesus? That's you and me. That's you and me. We are called to be light, to go forth and illuminate Jesus so that all people, even those far from him, can say, what is that? And I want to come meet this Jesus. I have seen people who have written off Christianity, who have been hurt by church and for good reason, but through the God's amazing love and through miracles or signs or for other people, some bright stars in their life, they have come to know Jesus. And you would say, I, I could never, I never would have expected that person to come to know Jesus. Because Jesus calls people who are far off. The other thing we learn about these, these magi were spiritual, deeply spiritual. They had found their spirituality and they, had, they, had, they, had a, they were teaching it to others. God calls spirituality, God calls spiritual people to a savior. One thing I want to say, and it's not popular, especially here in Carbondale, is that spirituality is not enough. You need a savior. You need Jesus. And right here, he calls people who are far off, who are very spiritual, who found their thing, and God calls them to pursue him, to find the savior. He still does this. No one is too far from God in their spirituality. No one is too far from God in their circumstances. And no one has outsinned God's love and is too far gone for him. God calls this. And while he might not put a star in somebody's life, he might have placed you at the cubicle next to him or you in the at work or you in their house. He might have placed you there as the star to illuminate Jesus and call them forward, just like he did these magi. So Orchard, we can look at these magi and their response to God and be challenged. This, this month's journey they went on, these foreigners in a strange land, they left all that was convenient to them to pursue. They made time. 
to seek Jesus. And, and, and let me just ask you a question I asked myself in doing all this. When was the last time you made space to seek Jesus on your own? When was the last time you carved out a space to pursue Jesus, to seek him? It doesn't have to be a month-long journey, leaving your family. Some of you would like that on a fishing trip, maybe, whatever. But, but, but let's just take tomorrow. Can we carve out some time? Can we carve out some space to seek Jesus, to pursue him? This, tr this trip they went on, it cost them personally. The pursuit of Jesus cost them. And how much did, and how did they respond when they found him? It tells us in verse 10, when they saw the star again, they were in, they're in Israel. When they saw it, they were overjoyed. And then they came to the house. I, I, I just wish, I, I, I hope in heaven we can go like watch the real story, you know, I want to see it all. Like they get to this house, you know, this humble house, and then you have these, these dignitaries and all the caravan, whatever it looked like. And they come to the door and there's a little drummer boy, you know, making everybody cry. And, and, and they, they come and it says, they saw the child and they saw Mary. And what did they do? They came in and they bowed down and they worshiped him and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They were overjoyed. These spiritual pagan priests overjoyed in finding Jesus, the one who God had illuminated to them. And what was their posture when they found him? They bowed down. Rich and powerful men don't bow down to foreign babies unless that baby son of God. They worshiped him. And hear this. I just want to remind you of something. These wise men, when they bowed down to Jesus, they haven't heard one sermon. They haven't seen one megachurch pastor on their TV. They didn't have Caleb for their journey. They didn't have books, but they didn't have any of this stuff. They didn't even know about the cross. They didn't know about the feeding of the 5,000. They didn't know this baby was going to die and raise again. They didn't know that. They didn't know that we have even more reason with our life to bow down and worship him. We have so much more reason because we do know that he came. We do know that he gave his life. We do know the miracles that he's done. We know that he died on the cross as a sacrifice for us, for you, for your sins, for mine, to, to open the way to be the way, the truth, and the life to the Father so that we can have eternal life someday and true life today. We have all the more reason to come before him and bow down and open our hearts and our treasures, our lives, our talents, our time, everything, because we know who he truly is. We know the scope of what he's done. So am I overjoyed at finding Jesus in my busy day? These guys were overjoyed. Am I overjoyed during my day at finding Jesus? Am I worshiping Jesus? Am I opening my heart and my treasures to him? Am I placing my life before him? And today I want to ask you, which of these three do you most resemble? And let's be honest about this. Is our faith built on what Jesus can do for us, like Herod? Is our faith built on religion? And we've kind of gotten familiar and disinterested and apathetic, not wanting to be inconvenienced like the Pharisees. Or is our faith built on this Robust and real curiosity and desire to seek and find and follow Jesus, to be overjoyed, to worship, to bow down, where we open our hearts, open our lives to him. Is our faith marked by Herod's selfishness, the Pharisees' indifference, or the Magi's conviction and devotion? In this time of Christmas, 
it's important for us to realize the reality of these people's lives. And as we look at these different responses to Jesus, put ourselves in there and ask yourself, am I seeking Jesus? And, and tomorrow, amidst the busyness, amidst the movies, amidst the cookies and the, and the carols and the parties and all that we have for Christmas and it's all fun, I love it. Are you carving out some space to seek the Son of God who came into the world as a baby, the most audacious rescue ransom plan ever, that God would come in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, and that he would grow up and heal and speak and declare who he was and then die on a cross and raise again so that you can know him, so that you can know the Father. So during this busy season, let's not lose sight that wise men and wise women still seek Jesus. We carve out time. We set things aside. And when it's not convenient, we still pursue to find him. Orchard, I want to encourage you that we would be those people. May we, the orchard, you know, we, we, we do a lot of audacious things here. May we not be a church that selfishly wants God to come be an addition to our life to help us build our kingdom. Let's not be that church. Let's not be the church of religious people who have the answers, but we don't take it out of here. We won't be inconvenienced by what he asks us. Let's be those people who are just crazy enough to take him at his word, knowing that we will see him someday, that this life will pass. And therefore, right here, while I'm on earth, I'm gonna seek you. I'm gonna love God and love people. And listen, I'm gonna go illuminate Jesus. I'm gonna be the star for somebody else to go illuminate Jesus so they can come close, they can bow down, and they can know him. Orchard, let's pray that that would be true of us. Father, we thank you so much for the Christmas story and all these people involved. And Lord, it is hard questions to ask, is this who I am? Where is my faith? But Father, we are a church that, that takes you at your word and can answer hard questions. So during communion, Father, as we pull aside, would you speak to us clearly? And God, I pray that this very week, the week of Christmas, that you would call us to set some time to seek you, to pursue worship. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we go into this, and as many of you are going to, don't take communion yet, but as some of you uh, want to engage in communion on your own during this song, as you pull out communion, take a second. Don't just take it. Take a second and say, God, is there anything I need to ask forgiveness for? And do business with him there. And then before you, you eat and before you drink, thank Jesus that, he's came, that he came. And then would you pray about pursuing him in your life and have this communion time be a sacred moment between you and his spirit. And then we stand in worship, the one who is worthy to be worshiped. And today we're gonna join with those wise men, those, those magi, as we worship Jesus for who he is.